0: Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, would you, and open it to the book of Acts chapter 6. You can live a short life and glorify God, and you can live a long life and live all your years in rebellion to God. What you do with the time you've been given is what really matters. Now, Stephen was obviously an outstanding individual. He was full of faith, verse 5, and of the Holy Spirit. And notice as we move down in the description of Stephen to verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great signs or great wonders and signs among the people. Now Stephen will become a bridge in the account of Acts. Peter has been the focal point for much of the uh, early sermons in Acts and he will appear again in Acts 10, 11, and 15. But the shift in the book of Acts is going to move from dominance of Peter as a preacher to a man named Saul. Saul is going to become Paul and Saul is heavily involved in this particular Account. If you skip ahead for a second and look at um, verse 58 of Acts 7, and we'll we'll be looking at this in some detail uh, in in weeks ahead. But for the moment, Acts 7:58, when they had driven him out of the city, and that is Stephen, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they went on stoning Stephen and as he called upon the Lord, Acts 7.59, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. By the way, that's good evidence that there is no soul sleep. Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep or he died. Keep reading. And Saul was in a hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, I will wait and I will give you power, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what's interesting is that the way that the church went out to fulfill its mission is by persecution. One man was killed and a great persecution arose and a man heavily involved with probably the Sanhedrin, the the ruling council, he was obviously a very zealous young man for the tradition of the Jews, was a man named Saul. Saul may have been a member of the Sanhedrin. He may have also debated with Stephen in this particular exchange and he encountered a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8, Acts 6 full of grace and power. These were all the things that belonged to Stephen. And I'll say this to you. If you want to be a man, or you want to be a woman who shines for God, this is the key. You must spend time in the presence of God. And these virtues will come out in your life. A man of faith, a woman of faith, is a man or a woman who trusts God. A man or a woman full of grace, think of what the Gospel is. It's the Gospel of grace. This is a beautiful word, caris, and it speaks of unmerited favor. He had grace and power. What a combination. Would, would to God that that would be said of us, that that man is a man of grace and a man of power. And I'll say this to you, that in the coming verses, we're going to see that although this great word grace was evident in Stephen, he couldn't please everybody. He was a man of grace and power, but he's going to get into this major debate and it's going to cause people to kill him. You may be trying to be a person of grace, but let me say this to you. You will not please everyone. Even if you're a person of grace, you can't please everyone. So stop trying. Now, I can hear some people saying, oh, that means I don't even have to try. No, change your faith. But what I'm talking about is, look, John the Baptist couldn't please people by uh, abstinence. Jesus couldn't please them by participation. What makes you think that you're going to? There's going to be certain people that don't want to hear, get this, about grace. They don't want to hear about grace. You talk about the gospel, that's the gospel of Grace. Yes, there's bad news, but there's great news. And some people will be turned off if you try to tell them about grace. Don't be shocked. But your job, my job, is to shine for the Lord. Now in 2 Corinthians, we have an interesting uh, description of this kind of thing. 2 Corinthians 3. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 1 and, Acts Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians 3 and look at verse 7 with me. The Apostle Paul is describing the New Covenant gospel ministry, he describes himself and his comrades as servants of a new covenant, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7, and he says, But if the ministry of death, and he's talking about the law, in letters engraved on stones, 2 Corinthians 3 7, came with glory or was glorious. So that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. Another uh, rendering says which glory was passing away or which was being brought to an end. There's not good evidence from the Exodus account, by the way, that Moses covered his face because the glory began to fade from his face. We don't know that for sure. The the fading glory may be a reference to the law, the law being superseded by the new covenant. I'm not sure we have good evidence to say Moses covered his face out of embarrassment that the light was diminishing from his face. I think that there's good evidence, and I'm not going to be dogmatic on this, that the reason that Moses covered his face was an act of mercy. Mercy. Because the children of Israel in this context were rebelling against God, against the law of God. And when Moses came down from the mountain, he didn't even know his own face was shining. And he had to put a veil over his face. But when he went back to talk with God, he took the veil off. And it may be an act of mercy because the glory of God fully revealed among sinful people will do what? Kill them. It may be be a sign here of the fact that they couldn't stand before the law or the lawgiver. So notice what happens. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, now Paul applies it to the church and those who preach the gospel, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. NIV says, We, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. And the ESV says, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What is the Lord doing in our lives He is transforming us into His image. And there's a mirror given here, a mirror image given, that when you look at your face, hopefully what you're seeing is the Lord coming out in your life more and more. I'm not talking about a plastic smile. I'm not talking about a phony look. But I am talking about the light of the Lord being in your countenance. There was a story told of a man... uh, I've known him for years, and he said he was disciplining his child one day. And he said, why do you do that? And they were in the child's bedroom. Why do you do that? And he he said that the child had some of those sliding mirror doors in the bedroom. and And he looked past the shoulder of the child into his face in the mirror, and he went, that's my face? That's how I look to this child when I'm disciplining this child? And he went, oh no, I'm a monster. You ever had that realization? You ever realize that, you know what, sometimes I'm sending a message even by my countenance that looks like I just ate a banana upside down? You know what I'm saying? Everywhere you go, banana upside down, you get it? Anyway, okay. Alright? And sometimes we have to say, Lord, why is my attitude like that? Where am I at? Oh yeah, where am I at with the Lord? Amen, Amen. you guys are awake? And so the glory of the Lord, kavod in Hebrew, means to open the door within. It speaks of that which is weighty, that which filled the tabernacle, and the church shines forth the kavod, the glory, the doxa of God. If you look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, for the context sake, look at verse we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, 2 Corinthians 4.6, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Some of your versions say jars of clay. That's what we are. That the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God, and not from ourselves. You ever looked at your face in the mirror, and you know they talk about smiling muscles and all that. It's better if you smile. You ever do that in the mirror? I gotta, I gotta do that more. I gotta smile, right? Because you don't want all those frown lines. You don't want to be older with those frown lines, right? Because that means you've been frowning for a long time. You want up, not down. Up, right? Well. As Christians, we are the ones who show the glory of God in our face. Go back to Acts chapter 6. Psalm 31.16 says, Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me in thy loving kindness. The countenance of an individual says a lot. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope In God, You ever been there? You ever needed to kind of just encourage yourself in the Lord? What's my problem? I've got all these promises. I'm a child of God. What am I doing, right? I look to the mountains and I say, where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, the one who said, light shall come out of darkness. That's who I serve. And when I'm surrendered to Him and submitted to Him, He shines through me. And so Stephen was full of grace and power, dunamis power. And he was performing great wonders and signs. He was a man full of God. If you want the key to shining for Jesus Christ, he was full. He was full of faith, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, full of grace. He was full. On Wednesday nights, we are going through Ephesians. And I looked at a, prayer by paul uh, an incredible prayer at the end of ephesians 3 when paul sums up the prayer he says he's praying for the church and he says i want you to know the love of christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up listen to this to all the fullness of god can you imagine that Apparently the Apostle Paul believes that you and I can be filled to all the fullness of God. I don't even know how to explain that theologically. But we can be so full of God that they will see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we say, really? Well, to be full of God is a God-dominated life. That is what godliness is. It's being dominated by God. All God knows self. Paul says, okay, in case you wondered. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever, and all God's people said, It's possible. You can shine. It just depends on how much time you spend in the presence of the Lord. Some people came back from Paris and they had a little matchbox they had got as a gift. And it was supposed to glow. And they said, this thing's not working, it's a dud. And it had a French inscription on it. And someone was able to translate it and it said, if you want me to shine in the night, keep me in the light. If you've ever had one of those glow things or balls, you know you've got to keep it near the light and then you turn the lights out and then it starts to shine. That's your Christian walk. Stephen apparently spent face-to-face time with God so much so that these attributes became clearer in his life. He was full of these things. He, he was a man with a full life, a short life, but a full life. The opposite of an empty life, which is what unbelievers experience, Emptiness. Paul says, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. There is a fruit that flows from spending time in the light. That was Ephesians 5, 8-10. You were formerly darkness, now you are light in the Lord, and when you spend time in the light, you produce more and more of that light. Isaiah 60, verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. You ever had a parent when you were growing up who said, "Rise and shine! You're like, oh. Sunglasses on, hoodie, five blankets over you. on. No. Arise and shine, sweetie! How many of you are morning people? Raise up your hand. Okay, how many of you don't like the morning people next to you? And you're like, what are you thinking? It's six in the morning. Give me a coffee injection. Can I get a witness? First thing in the morning, it's tough. Rise and shine. Bright-eyed bushy Come on, man. It says, behold, darkness will cover the earth. It's describing the millennial reign of Christ. Deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and His glory will appear upon you. And the nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons will come from afar, your daughters will be carried in their arms. And then you will see and be radiant. And your heart will thrill and rejoice because of the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. That's Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 5. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what people were seeing in Stephen. They were seeing God on display. They were seeing a full life. They were seeing the fruit of a man who knew God face to face. Sometimes when we're praying, we we say, Lord, I'm seeking your face. And what we mean by that is not God's literal face. What we mean is, Lord, I want to know you intimately. Is that you? Is that me? Lord, I want to know you. The power of your resurrection, O oh God, restore us, Cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Psalm 80 verse three and verse 19 says, "O oh Lord, God of hosts, restore us, cause thy face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Daniel 12:3 says, "Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead many to righteousness, those who have influenced others to faith, will shine like the stars forever and ever. For he who wins souls is wise. And that was Stephen. Not only was he uh, the Lord allowing healing power to flow from him, but he was obviously preaching the gospel of grace. And Acts 6 says, But there's always those who don't like it. Can you imagine, with all these beautiful attributes, some people didn't want to hear Stephen. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, these were slaves under Pompeii that were eventually freed and established a community, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians. These may have been separate synagogues because of the linguistic differences. And some from Cilicia and Asia rose up and argued with Stephen. Now, it may well be that Stephen was going into synagogues as a mode of evangelism. We see this happen, the Apostle Paul will go on in the book of Acts and see that Paul, when he came into a new city, would immediately go into the synagogue. And he would begin as a traveling rabbi to reason with them from the scriptures. And so this was something that he did. It was something that Jesus did. Jesus went into the synagogue at Nazareth. He opened to the scroll of Isaiah and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the captives. And he said, after all the eyes were fixed upon him in the synagogue, he said, today, in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. Now his hometown people, after he preached a little bit more, didn't like what he had to say. And Stephen, much like Jesus, is going to be rejected. But I, I see Stephen maybe even going into these synagogues. And so these people rise up. The the Jewish Talmud says there were 480 synagogues in Jerusalem at this time. Let me say that again 480 synagogues. You know how people sometimes say, Why are there so many churches in a single city? And that's because there's a lot of church splits, to be frank. A lot of churches that get established are established from churches that split. And they split, and somebody gets mad, and they split. And they literally split, if you know what I'm saying. And so you have all these churches. Now that's not always the case, but I don't know if this is an exaggerated number, but could you imagine in a city like Jerusalem, 480 synagogues? Wow. So there was apparently a lot to choose from. So I think Stephen was maybe making the circuit. All right, guys, give me a chance to speak. I want to tell you about the Lord. And he began to debate with them. That's the word argue. And so you have Cyrenians and Alexandrians, two major cities in North Africa. Cyrene was the home of Simon, who carried the cross of Jesus. Cilicia in Asia, Roman provinces in Asia Minor. Cilicia is connected to Paul, whose hometown was Tarsus, located in Cilicia, which may be a clue that Saul was involved in the debate with Stephen. I was listening to a debate from an old audio recording of Dr. Martin who took on a liberal professor. The liberal professor was trying to make the case that resurrection is metaphor for the deeper struggle between the Jews and the Romans. It's not really the rising of a clinically dead body. It's a metaphor. So he was invited to debate Walter Martin And it was a church setting, and his friends and colleagues were telling him, Professor, you're crazy. Don't go and debate this guy. And he goes to the podium and says, I'm the only one that's confident in myself. I believe this will be fine. And so he goes up to the podium, and he begins to articulate his metaphorical position on the resurrection. Uh, I really think there's a deeper meaning. It's not really a resurrection. It's this and that. It's about the struggle. Walter Martin comes up there, and he says, look. He said... Episcopal, I was in the Episcopal church and I almost got sent to hell by this kind of theology. Let me tell you something. If resurrection is not the raising of a clinically dead body, go do something else. Or in the words of Dr. Martin, Ratserok. If that's what you believe about the resurrection, go surfing. Go do something else. Because Jesus said, destroy my body and in three days I will raise it again. Going to Jerusalem, he says, I'm going to die. They're going to crucify me, and I'm going to rise from the dead. Don't tell me it's a metaphor. Jesus is the one who said it. Well, you could have heard a pin drop in there. And you could feel the professor shrinking in the corner. Well, Dr. Martin had quotes from him, and eventually he exposed that this is what he teaches. And the guy tried to recover, and he tried to say, I really do believe I'm an evangelical. And he was like a little child. Well, Dr. Martin's good at calling people names. Change your face. Anyway, I'll tell you what, guy was undone. And Dr. Martin made his closing comments and he said, look, this guy, he's, he's a delightful fellow with whom I have violent disagreements. Here's why. Resurrection in the Bible. Paul says, if Christ be not raised, you are still in your sins. You're dead. Don't tell me this is some theological debate. This is life and death. And he undressed the guy, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> And the guy was done. And it was right. If you would like to listen to this message again, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. If you've been blessed by this ministry, or if we can pray for you, let us know. You can get to know us better, find helpful resources, and give to this growing radio ministry at livingtruthcorona.org. I don't know if the early church assembled the group and they submitted names or, you know, um, there was a collaboration in some way, it certainly appears that there was. But it was the congregation that bore witness to Stephen. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had already developed a reputation among the people. And you know, our reputation among God's people is important. Our reputation for self-sacrificing service and being willing to be someone who says like Isaiah, here I am, send me. You know, I know we all want to we want to be in a ministry where we can exercise our gifts, but that doesn't mean that that's always the only place where we serve. Sometimes we serve where there's a need. I'm not sure that a widow feeding program was on the top of the to-do list for Stephen, but he said, here I am, Lord, send me, and I think there's application for us. And like you said, the example here is the integrity, and it wasn't just done in one day. You know, as you have said, you know, here Stephen was uh, a volunteer within the the church here, and so he made himself known, and as Luke had told us, as he had written, do all this in love. That's how Peter had mentioned. You know, Do all of this in love. Work in love and don't complain. There's nothing to complain about because this is what you are to do is to love each other. Well, Stephen is a great example of a servant and how we long to have more servants in the church. Oh, yes. you know. And his name, interestingly enough, this is going to ring familiar. His name in Greek is Stephanos. And it is, it means crowned or the victor's crown. Mm-hmm. And so... You know what are we what are we doing? What we do for Oscar? You and I, we're sitting here in a studio on a on an afternoon during you know midweek. You just came off the 91 freeway from work, <laughs> and I could ask you why are you here, but I know the answer. You're here because you're a servant of God. You're here because you want to use whatever God has allowed you to put on the table for His glory. That's Stephen, and Stephen was working for a crown which doesn't perish, right? Right. Not a perishable wreath, but an imperishable. wreath. And that's why I think he did what he did in the next chapter as well. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to Partner with Us in Prayer and in Giving You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. dot org. That's Living Corona dot org.